I'm sure that's my blackbird singing. I'm sure that's my blackbird singing this morning. A reading life, a writing life, with writer and teacher Sally Bailey. behind Blackbird, the usual sounds of the city stirring this morning, a siren going off, and behind that I think I hear the sound of a horse neighing in the fields just behind us. Morning. Morning and back on my boat after a very windy night. So windy, we were shaking side to side like a very angry cradle hanging from a tree and at one point I wondered whether in fact I had got myself lassoed to a tree back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She rocked my carrion in the stormy winds, Storm Isla, Storm Isla, so she says her name is Storm Isla. Who has now passed on and left behind a very balmy morning full of bird song. A noisy crow. A noisy crow. Can you hear her? Perhaps she's speaking to me and saying, Come on, Sally, get on, get on. It's time to start your day. Get on, get on, get on. Crow on. Crow on into your day. And so I shall. I shall crow on. It really is a very balmy morning. I've just been outside to hang up some washing. Imagine that at the end of January, washing hanging out to dry. But the wind feels very warm indeed. And now I'm back inside. I'm going to do my morning chores, which always involves a bit of cleaning of floors. There she goes, my floor spray. I love the sound of that. It's 
like the sound of hairspray. Hairspray for the floor. There's something about having your floors clear and clean that makes thinking better. So I usually start my day by cleaning my floors, getting up some of the coal, the black streaks running across her, and making sure there's not too much litter about the place. Sometimes, of course, litter blows in from outside. Nature's litter. But I do like to look at my floors. They're wooden slats, pale ash coloured, fitting neatly together. And I see my floors, my wooden floors, as another kind of canvas. I cross over, back and forth, back and forth, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. A canvas for movement, small, barely perceptible movements. But I notice them. I notice them and I note them on my floor, those small marks. See, there are some twigs lying just over there. Let me collect them. Those must have come in with my by going out. You go out and something comes in. This morning, what has come in are a small set of leaves and twigs from last night's storm. So now, I'm wiping down my wooden floors, which I think of as my floor canvas. I'm around my fire where all the streaks get thick and black. Charcoal streaks are on my floor. There's also something about stretching out your back like a busy cat that makes you feel better. And since my spine seems to have taken against me, I need to stretch it. And there's something about cleaning that helps with that. So I will continue to clean off those unwanted marks so I can make my own marks this morning on my canvas inside my mind. And then sometimes your morning goes a little awry and the marks on the canvas don't exactly follow the direction you thought they might. Akimbo this way, akimbo that way, a duat, gauche, because somebody comes by and tells you something very difficult to hear. And so you write it down, and so you write it down, and so you write it down, because that's the way, that's the way to know what it is you fear and what it is you do not know when someone tells you something hard to hear. My neighbour came round just now and told me something hard to hear about someone I love. And so I will write it down and I will make my shapes upon the canvas. I might even start by sitting here on the floor with my notebook.
Where is it you sit before you start to write? I like to think it's somewhere nice and tight. And so sometimes I sit at the front of my boat, the bow between my stove and my chaise. Long. There is a small space there which can hold me tight and secure, where I can place myself nicely, warmly, kindly, and start to make my marks. And sometimes I sit at the back of my boat near the stern, inside my engine room, which in the summer I can open up to the light. And today there is enough light to let in. And sometimes I sit on my bed and look out of my port hole, another very secure shape. Because shape matters when you start to write the think about Think about the shape you're making with yourself in space, because space matters when you write. Think about where you sit and how tight you feel, how snug, how secure, how put away from others and their words and their thoughts and their needs and their interruptions and their growls, because sometimes the pain of others can be too much to hold. So think about where it is you sit before you write and make sure it's somewhere nice and tight that can hold you. Like a child in a cradle that doesn't rock. So how do you first write? Well, sit somewhere securely, feeling tight, secure, safe, as you felt as a child. I'm a great believer in small spaces and definite shapes. So surround yourself with a definite shape. I have my porthole window. And beyond that, the moving light of the water and I have in front of me a page of a book open. And I read my page over and over like a kind of meditation until words start to settle in my mind. It's almost as though you are laying down sand on the beach and it's your beach and it's your sand. And it's up to you where you sprinkle the sand as you read those words over and over again, shutting out the sounds of the world, because the world is always large with sound, and now there is a large sound passing over. You can probably hear it, a low-lying aeroplane. Hold on to that word aeroplane and let it pass through you, and imagine what it might be like to fly away with that plane. Now put that word down, put it down upon your page and keep it there, keep it there. Make it part of your sandy beach, your space, your landscape. Let it pass through you, let words pass through you within a small contained space. Make lists of words, let the words that are flying through your mind perhaps agitating you, things people have said, things people have told you you can barely bear to hear, 
let them settle into you. Write them down, write them down, and so convert them into your own set of meanings. Aeroplane, aeroplane becomes airplane. Airplane feels somehow better, lighter, more like a bird, more able to fly away from here. And I think of my brothers and how they used to make model airplanes, as brothers do, from pieces of bolster wood, and how they threw them through the air at the back of our house, the long rectangle of green grass, and how that aeroplane, airplane, settled down, down, down upon the grass at the back of our garden, where the black gate clicked open and closed. During a gale, it banged, banged, banged. And so I am bringing into my mind particular shapes of particular places I know well. They are old shapes. They are old places. They are known to me well. And it is a kind of mental drawing I am doing. I am drawing out the shapes I know best. And yes, it is a kind of visual making. And I am building something. I am an architect of space and time. But space comes first because I can control space and I cannot manage time. So let that part go and draw out the spaces in your mind that you know best. I know that old garden space. I have written of it so many times. Oblong, rectangular, long, not wide, narrow. Another one of my narrow passages I wish to pass through to get back to something firm and solid, a place that can hold me tight. And that small aeroplane flying from my brother's small white fingers through the air, landing on the grey concrete path at the back of the garden where the black gate clicked open, banged open during the storm. And from up above, my grandmother's voice calling out, Close the gate, dear! Close the gate, dear! My grandmother's voice on the wind carrying me back to that place which I passed through back and forth, back and forth for so many years until I left it behind with a final click. And I passed through that narrow gate and that narrow space and in some sense that is my origin story and it is the moment I enact over and over again as a writer, as someone who imagines the world through words. I have to go through that gate every day, through that narrow passageway, back out, out, out into the world which I hope is ready to receive me. And if I lose my place, if I lose my flight, 
of words. If I lose my way, all I do is return to the page in front of me and those words I am taking from somebody else's literary life. Today, from Mr. Beluncle by V.S. Pritchett. V.S. Pritchett, a poet and a critic and a fantastic prose writer. This is how he writes. There are many funny names and I attach myself to the names as a kind of three-dimensional space, a sort of sculpture I can move around and poke and prod and peer at until she comes alive. Trusslove is her name, Mrs. Trusslove, who is married to Mr. Trusslove. And in many ways, this is an old and familiar story of people being married to the wrong sort of person. Unfortunate marriages. We've read about those before, haven't we? For Truslove was not free to marry. He was, so to say, married to him, Mr. Beluncle. And what a disgusting thought it was, that long bony man with ginger hair on his arms and probably on his legs too in bed with that poor fat Oh, Mr. Beluncle works with Mr. Truslove, you see, and there is a kind of rivalry between them. Mr. Beluncle wanted to rush into the bedroom and save her, or at any rate, to lie between them, in case in the middle of the night she started telling Mr. Truslove confidential business matters which she must have picked up while she was working with him. What is going on, you say? What is going on? The mess of human relations is going on. The imbalance of power between two men. One who owns the business and one who doesn't. And in between, there are women. Ethel, said Mr. Beluncle, softening sadly, you don't understand business. When medals opened up in the high street, he took a risk. It was none of Connie's business. The landlord took a risk. The manufacturers took a risk. That's what business is, risk. You never did, and yet you were a business girl. Forget the high street. The high street does not exist. It is finished. And so this novel by V.S. Pritchard is full of this kind of rhetoric of men and their business projects, their ideas. Beluncle started to laugh in an uncomfortable way. It's trust love, Jack. He's married Miss Dykes. Don't sit looking at me. I say he's married Miss Dykes, that's all. But Phil... Mr. Beluncle said it had gone on under his nose for months and he had not noticed. That he was rather proud of. He hoped he had more important things to do in life than to notice sex. Yet they ought to have told him. They hadn't even asked. It might have been thoroughly inconvenient for him to have them married. And then surely, surely, if the girl had wanted to marry, she ought, in a platonic way, to have married him. Not trust love. And you see, it's a kind of literary trifle I am trying to get myself back into. 
because I've been disturbed from my reading for a few days and I'm now trying to catch up with myself and to work out who is who in relation to whom and what now he feels about her and who wants to go out with her and what she feels and where her legs are in relation to his nose and where his hair is and how he put his spectacles on in the morning and what she's doing with him and who fancies who and who wishes they weren't married to him. It's a sort of trifle. Squelch, squelch, there's jam and sponge and honey and custard and sponge and cream and it's going all over his nose and all over his spectacles and he wish he weren't married to her and yet he has him and they're in a business relationship and who has the money and who has the power and who decided to marry that one it's that kind of book it's that kind of life and so you see i sit down with my book after a gap of a few days and i try to find a way back in to a small moment of muddling, messy, trifle and trifling with other people's feelings. Ethel, said Mr. Belunkle, softening sadly, you don't understand business. When Meadows opened up in the high street, he took a risk. It was none of Connie's business. The landlord took a risk and the manufacturers took a risk. That's what business is. Risk. You never did. And yet you were a business girl. Forget the high street. The high street does not exist. It is finished. And so I read the words out loud until I hear the rhetoric of the character and his language and his words. Risk, risk, risk. Mr. Belonkle speaks of risk with a rhetorical flourish and I am trying to attach myself to the sound of the characters as the words fly off the page like small aeroplanes, aeroplanes with sharp pointed darts. And there I heard the footfall of somebody coming towards my boat. But I shall hide from them. I shall sit here at the back of the boat in my stern and I shall read out loud to myself until I understand the business, the business in which I find myself which is the business of a writer trying to build a relationship with words, with all of their pointy, awkward angles flying out at me like sharp, darting points of an airplane I cannot quite manage to fly. So I will watch it fly instead. I will lean back. I will lean back. I will lean back at the back of my boat and rest my head and look up out of my porthole window and breathe deeply and take a pause and begin to see again those old, ancient shapes that used to hold me. That long, oblong running from the back of my house to the back gate. We used to call a garden.
Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.